Welcome to the State of the Lakers show on Dash Radio. This is the second half of the post-game spaces that we did after the Lakers lost up in Portland. We were joined by Roosh, our friend from Rockets Twitter, someone who's been through the Russell Westbrook experience the same way that we all have and provides a really unique perspective. And we touch base with him to see what he thinks about what he's seen so far and what we think about what we've seen so far with Westbrook and talk about what could be potentially the good version of this in the long run and Russ fitting in and helping the Lakers raise their ceiling. thought it was a really interesting discussion. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Enjoy the show, and we will have a post-game show back on Monday after the game with the Hornets. All right. I think uh, Arush, are you there? Houston guy. Yes, I am, dude. I, I love hearing these conversations because I've been through it, and it's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy to hear y'all sounding literally the exact same way the Rockets fans felt. I'll say this. There's going to be a point when LeBron comes back where things go up, and y'all will probably hit a stretch where it looks like it's really working because that's the cycle, right? Russ always starts off, you know, just kind of, I don't know, playing pretty much awful, right? Even in Washington, he started off awful. Yeah. Then, it pick, then it picked up, and, it, you know, for they, they rode this stretch where it was like, oh, hey, this is working. Even in Houston, uh, they had to trade Capella and, and spread things out to give him the space to work, but it started working. And then, you know, it, it inevitably dips again and just kind of crashes back and regresses back to the mean. But it's crazy, man. I mean, he, I think Jason nailed it on the head. There's no finesse to his game. He used to be a better jump shooter. He no longer gets that same lift. Yeah. So it's really a crapshoot. Um, and, man, the turnovers, I think, are just killers. Because he'll have these nights where he goes, like, tonight, one of 13, eight points, whatever it was, six turnovers. And then he'll come back and he'll have one of those nights where he scores, like, 27 points on 21 or 22 shots. But the downside of that is, even when he's at his best, it's still a game where he's barely being efficient, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to sound all nerdy and all that, but like at the end of the day, with the volume of shots he's taking and the sheer amount of possessions that are in Russell Westbrook's hands, you need him to be efficient. And for the most part, he's not. The only fixer is LeBron. I mean, if anyone's listening, they should go listen to the pod I did, Raj, with you yep. on State of the Lakers, you know, a few months ago or whatever it was. Kind of break it down, like the, the highs and the lows. Like he's going to, he's going to have those moments where he wows you. And then overall his lack of shooting ability and his, the, the, the killer for me and what it seems like is killing Lakers fans is that he won't adjust. He just is what he is and you have to deal with it. And it, uh, oftentimes it feels like you're trying to fit whatever the phrase is, right? You're trying to fit like a square peg into a round hole. Like it just doesn't work, you know? So I'm really curious to hear your opinion on the potential upside here. Cause so I do think that there, first of all, Let's take one thing for for certain here. Russ isn't going anywhere. He's going to be a Laker, at least for the rest of the season. There's just no conceivable way that they get off of him. So this is what this team is going to be for better or worse, unless he gets hurt, which we don't want. So uh, taking that, assuming that, and then also acknowledging the small ways he has changed. So for just small ways. So for instance, he, uh, if with LeBron on the floor, only attempts about 12 shots per 36 minutes. And that goes up to like 20 shots per 36 minutes when LeBron's off the floor. So he does temper back some of his aggression. We saw in the Houston game and the Cleveland game in particular, that he's more willing to um, see the offense to LeBron in crunch time. 
Um, so I guess my question for you is this, if he does pull back in all those ways that I just described when the team is healthy and he is most likely mostly kind of funneled and focused against bench players and, or the third best defender on any given lineup and operating in space, meaning, you know, whether it's through Frank getting the ax or if Frank finally just wises up and stops playing centers, but he's in operating in space, operating against weaker defenders. Do you think there's a scenario where potentially it could work better because he's not going to be relied on as much in the playoffs as he was in Houston and in Washington in Oklahoma city? Well, I mean, as you've heard me say many times, I continue to believe that LeBron James is good enough to shore up any issues. So yes, I, I mean, there is a world where, you know, LeBron's playing, AD's playing, and Russ is like that third option, and it works out kind of as, as people had envisioned when, when the trade was made. The problem is that he's so high-octane that reducing him to a third option doesn't really work the way you'd want. I mean, I think ideally you'd want your third option to be some type of floor spreader, some type of someone that can catch and shoot at the very least and be efficient, but mm-hmm. his possessions are isolations where he's just dribbling and, and driving. And sometimes he'll get a matchup where he's got like a smaller guard on him or something, and he can just kind of abuse that and spam it and go go to it over and over. But they his possessions essentially feel like post-ups in the modern day age where, you know, if you get the bucket, it feels great. But if you go a couple possessions in a row or if you go three out of like five possessions, for example, where he gets to his spot but just doesn't make the shot and, and misses it, it feels like a, a wasted possession that killed chemistry, killed rhythm, killed time. And like, you know, it's like everyone's sitting there watching Russ and then he misses it and you just go, go get back on defense. It's kind of like a killer in, in multiple ways. So I guess the long short of it is, yes, there is a world where that's possible. It's all going to hinge on LeBron kind of setting things and making them all fall into place. Um, the difficulty is that, you know, what value is Russ if he's just kind of shooting 10 or 12 shots a game because chances are he's going to make four of them you know what i mean right for sure i thought like we saw a little bit of that like i remember when we played the Cavs at home uh he only shot 13 times he made eight of them and i thought that was maybe the kind of formula we'd go to and then we'd play uh your guys houston rocket teams which was a huge like up and down pace where no one played defense really and i thought he played okay in that in those games but like my question to you is, like, can the Russ and AD lineups, like, I understand LeBron's going to fix a lot, but, like, can Russ, because we talked about this in the pod we did uh, over the summer. It's actually, like, episode, I think, 72 or something like that, if you want to go listen to that. But a lot of those things came true, and we talked about how here he would have AD as the guy to kind of throw the lob up to, which would be different in those Houston teams because you guys traded uh, Capella from. Can those Russ and AD lineups kind of build if it's just like him, AD, and three shooters? Do you think like do you think that's something that can be successful that they can build with? Because I felt like that's something they found before LeBron went out, and then they went back to these like two big lineups. Because you saw them play against your guys' team twice, so you kind of got a close look at that. Do you think that's something they can kind of build off as, as well as we go up here? I mean, I think so. I think the theme is is inconsistency because there's going to be games like tonight, right, where obviously AD was out, so it's a little bit different. But even when when AD was in there um, and LeBron was out, right, like you lost to OKC, for example, there's going to be moments where it works and, you know, Russ and AD are clicking. He's finding his rhythm, you know, scoring. But again, even when he's on, it's like it's something like 27 points on 21 shots. Like like those are your best nights. And that's not exactly what you're looking for. Um, And in addition to that, he doesn't get – he didn't get foul love. 
Um, so yeah. again, if he's missing his shots, like there's not much redemption on the other end. When he was in Houston, the bench units, the rust led bench units were, were awful. Um, and I don't think they will be that in LA. I think having AD helps significantly, but I think it's just going to be off and on, you know, it's going to be nights like tonight or OKC where you lose the game. Then there's going to be those nights where he gives you like some crazy 20, 10 and 13 on, you know, like 15 of 20 or something, some crazy like that. Um, and, you know, you start talking yourself back into it, and then he just kind of turns around and shows you again that he's the inconsistent version of himself. The other thing is, and this is the thing that never goes away, um, he's just bad on defense, man. His awareness is not there on defense. Uh, too often he falls, like he, he becomes, he creates holes in a team defensive scheme because he's either playing a passing lane someone's just hitting the hundred button over and over. <laughs> he's either playing a passing lane, you know, overplaying the passing lane, or he's taking his individual assignment way too seriously to the detriment of the team scheme. He just, there's just too many lapses um, throughout. And so even when you're getting his best version of offense, which again, it's going to happen. It's not like he's just going to be awful every night. There's going to be nights where he goes, you know, psycho and reminds you that he is Russell Westbrook. So that definitely happens. And he mm-hmm. tends to get on a streak, right? Like he'll do it for two or three weeks in a row. And you'll be like, oh, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of flips on its head out of nowhere. And you have to deal with the peaks and the valleys. But, but yeah, he just doesn't defend at the level that like sustains, you know, win. I've always said he's very talented. He puts up the numbers, but he just doesn't play a winning brand of basketball. And I think that's just true kind of on, on every aspect. Offensively, the way he gets his points, uh, the way that he just puts his head down and drives and, and, you know, thinks second and acts first and just kind of passes it wherever he thinks the ball should go. No, no method to the madness. And then on defense, you know, all the things we already talked about. Um, so it's tough, but I do think you also need to find the right lineup, but I guess to answer your question, it'll, it'll just be up and down. There'll be moments where him and AD look amazing together. And then there's going to be moments where, you know, you remind yourself like Russ isn't a number one or a number two and AD is a number two. So if Russ isn't the number one, you still need LeBron to kind of come and set things in place appropriately. It's so funny to me how like, like I can be both completely frustrated, like completely and fully frustrated watching Russ, but still have some optimism. And you know, the, the reason why is, is pretty simple. Like I, he has good things that he brings to the table and he has bad things that he brings to the table. And if the scenario around him is not, uh, you know, perfectly catered to that, then the bad will outweigh the good and it will continue to be incredibly frustrating to watch. But again, like I, I have a hard time giving up. Um, I, and for the record, I'm not discounting what you're saying. Cause this is so like, th- this was a big fight. I got in with Brooklyn, the Brooklyn fan base about the Deandre Jordan thing. I am not saying that what happened in the past with this guy is all the situation's fault and not his fault. That's not what I'm saying. However, with this specific situation, I can't fully, I can't fully commit to saying, Hey, the rust thing is busted and it doesn't work until I see a good stretch of basketball where the team is healthy. And the reason why is I do think there is a way, like you said, with LeBron, with his IQ and with the way this roster is put together is like theoretically the perfect small ball lineup, right? Like this, this lineup should theoretically be able to capture some of that, that spark that he had in Houston before his quad quad injury. He should be, they should be able to capture some of that, but with 
Anthony Davis instead of PJ Tucker playing center, right? Like this, this could work. The, the, the problem is, is, is we don't even get to see what that looks like right now. And so I, I, I'm just, I want to be patient because I do think again, if he's in a situation where he's surrounded by big basketball egos like LeBron and AD who are locked in on defense extended for a couple weeks, he could take on some better habits. I do think that if he's strictly attacking inferior defenders, you know, because of the attention that is sent towards LeBron and AD, that he can make easier reads. And by virtue of that, have that scale tip to where there's more good than bad. And if that happens, then it raises their ceiling. It really does. So uh, now if you ask me if it's more than more likely than not that it won't happen. Yeah. I, I, I'd probably say yes. I think it's more likely that this doesn't work than likely that it does work. However, I still see the chance that it could work, and, and I don't really want to make you know uh, an observation on that until the, they start fielding a real basketball team with forwards and the two stars that were supposed to originally play next to him. Well, I think the interesting thing with him is that he tends to shine in situations that you know people count him out in, right? So like in Washington, it looked like a disaster, and then for a while it looked pretty impressive right it was like oh hey russ is -hmm. kind of semi-willing washington like to the plan um but then when he gets in a situation where he's high end and he's like you know the expectations are higher he kind of reminds you why he's on a tier below the guys like lebron james steph curry etc etc um i think i still think like you said there's i mean when lebron comes back they can be a very good team it can all work. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a stretch where it's going to look like fire. He's going to look like he's on fire. He's killing it. The issue is that I think LeBron, I think he was acquired for the moments like now where LeBron's hurt so that LeBron can kind of load manage and chill. And you're going to get the best version of it with LeBron on the court. So in these moments where, you know, you're leaning on Westbrook to kind of carry the load, you're going to get these up and down performances. But like I said, there's going to come a time where he finds it, and y'all start rattling off a bunch in a row, but the issue is sustaining that. Bruce, I have a question for you, because a, a lot of the conversation, I guess, that uh, me and Jason have, and I just looked it up right now, the Rockets traded Clint Capella, Clint Capella in February. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Lakers have until fe- February, you know what I mean, for like Russ to get comfortable. Do you think it's just the center lineup? Do you think like just pulling DeAndre Jordan out, pulling AD at the five, like that's kind of the big bandaid you can kind of put over it until LeBron gets back. Like, do you think that is the fix? Like in Houston, was that really the main kind of issue there? Or was it something else where Russ just picked it up himself and kind of, like you said, uh, he picks it up, you know, when people aren't believing in him or whatever it is, um, he picks it up later. He gets rolling a little bit later in seasons. Or do you think like, that's just the bandaid you kind of put over it? Because I feel like that's what the conversation has kind of diluted to a lot with Russ now is just the, take the center out, open the space for him, open up, open up the space for him. Do you think that's just the issue for him right now? I don't think it's just the issue, but I think it definitely helps. He, you yeah. need to run 80 at the five. I see Lakers fans argue about this all the time. If Russ is on the squad and Russ is going to be playing heavy minutes, you need to run 80 at the five. There's no question because there's no space otherwise. And unless mm-hmm. you have like a very legitimate lob threat, which AD already is. So you don't, I mean, I don't think DeAndre Jordan is a lob threat anymore. At least definitely not what he was. Right. Um, and even, I mean, Capella was a lot there, but it still didn't work because when Russ, Russ makes, he's like a one cut running back, right? He makes that move and then he just goes. And so when someone else is in that space, 
it's easy to help over on him. And like I said, he does not get love from referees. So he'll get to the basket. He'll get close. Someone helps over. He might even get hacked, but he won't get the call most times. So it just kills the space. He can't open the space up on his own. And when he tries to, he shoots from the elbows, right? Um, that little mid-range area. So that's it's all just clogged up. The best way, I mean, when Houston found success, it's because they traded Capella, unfortunately. I miss Capella. But it, it you, you get to go five out. And then Russ can break a defense down, draw a corner defender, whip the ball out. The ball gets moving. You know, you start putting the defense on their heels and you start forcing the defense to react. And that's when your offense actually begins clicking because then Russ can put pressure on people in ISO one-on-one, get a smaller guard, whatever, beat them to the rack or use his muscle to get to the, to the hoop and score. Or like I said, draw extra defenders. But without that, you're not going to draw extra defenders. You're going to have the big maybe in the dunker spot or, or roaming somewhere around the middle. And his man's going to be in close proximity, able to help over. And then you start getting Russ forcing the issue. <clears throat> Russ, you know, like I said, getting to the basket and missing, a, missing an easy layup or not getting a call. And then these possessions become wasted and they turn into turnovers and misses. And that's when things kind of start snowballing. So I, yeah, I think AD at the five is is the immediate solution. And then the long-term solution is AD at the five with LeBron back in the lineup, obviously. Yeah, we're on the same page, man. I, I think like at the end of the day, you, uh, you, Russ is incapable of finishing around traffic anymore. So you have to find a way to minimize traffic as much as possible. Uh, even if he's even if he's got a guy with like size on him, he can't power through him to finish anymore. So Raj, look look up the stats, man. Look up his two point percentage in Houston. Because I'm pretty sure it was one of the best of his career. And that's mm-hmm. because we we traded and opened it up for him to actually become an efficient player. Um, right. Not to cut you off, Jason. No, but you're I good. Think, I think but that's that's the, that's the point though. The point is is like you you theoretically can do that with Anthony Davis at the five. And so like I, I think I, I predicted before the season that Russ would have one of the more efficient years of his career. And it was because I envisioned AD playing at the five and Russ attacking tertiary defenders. We, before you came on, we talked about the thunder game. The reason why Oklahoma city shut down the Lakers in the fourth quarter of that game was because Russ was getting Dort, who was their best perimeter defender. If LeBron's playing in that game, LeBron draws Dort. And if they run action for Russ, it is, it's probably going to be SGA on the ball. And Russ is going to have a much better chance of physically beating SGA at the point of attack to get him on his hip and try to strong, finish strong at the basket. You know, like that's, that, that's a very, it's, that's the, it's not just about bringing LeBron back so that he can run the show. It like, it literally makes Russ's job easier when when the defensive attention has to be geared and schemed for LeBron and AD. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think the difficulty when LeBron, the one difficult thing, at least when LeBron does come back, is that when you have that lineup on the floor and Bron and Russ are sharing their time with AD, it kind of forces Bron to become, if Bron is not handling the ball, in the moments when Russ is handling the ball, LeBron then becomes kind of a spot-up shooter. And I think you mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. um, because that's kind of how it turns with Russ, right? Like you have to just kind of sit there, watch him ISO, almost like Harden, except a much less efficient version without step-back capability. So you're just sitting there watching him, you know, ISO. And if the defense draws over, if they feel the need to double or, or help out or whatever, that's when the ball gets moving. But 
you're going to kind of see like LeBron and, and Russ kind of just taking turns, I feel like. Um, and I don't know if that's, you know. In, I, I'm not as worried about it's... that particular dynamic because, for instance, LeBron used to do the same thing with Kyrie. And ironically, like LeBron, LeBron likes to take possessions off on offense. But that's kind of one of his things is like you'll watch him when he's closing a game. Like he'll do three or four high pick and rolls. But then it's like, let me just dump it to AD in the post and go stand on the wing because I need to rest. Like, that's kind of the way he is. So, like, <clears throat> the way I see it, he, on possessions where he's resting, he's actually a spot-up threat. So it can work with the rust thing. And then when he's on the ball, we've seen lots of different examples of this. Uh, it depends on where they position him on the floor. If they position him, you know, uh, you know in a position where – it's easy to double off of him, then it can be more dangerous than if he's tucked somewhere else on the floor where he can maybe be a better offensive rebounding threat. Or we saw in the Memphis game, they used him as a screener and got a bunch mm. of good looks out of having him basically play the Draymond role, anticipating them trapping LeBron at the top. So like, I, I'm not as concerned about the, the dynamic of how that can work in crunch time, where, where I would have been really concerned is if in those games, in those high leverage moments, Russ co-opted the ball from LeBron too much, which, which he did it for the record. We have not had a game yet this year where LeBron was healthy. The game was close and Russ took the ball out of his hands and did something stupid. That has not happened this year for the record. So, for the, so that would be for the record, lining. For the record, by the way, he, the highest two point field goal percentage of his career was in Houston. 51.4%. Sounds about um, right. And he led the league that season, I think, according to what I'm looking at, mm-hmm. in two-point attempts as well. Um, that was the He's only had two seasons in his career where his two-point field goal percentage was above 50%, and that was one of them. Um, the other one was 2015, 2016. So I think that's the key. The other thing that I don't see discussed enough, and maybe that's just on my end, but um, the killer man, it, and it's another thing. Like I hear you all talk about habits, right? You need to get used to the idea that he's – his habits are there and that's just what it is. You'll yeah. get good nights. Sometimes you're going to get bad nights. The, the saving grace could be LeBron. Maybe like, you know, that whole cliche of LeBron being in his ear is actually going to materialize and come to fruition and he'll start changing his habits. But I can tell you for sure in Houston, he did not like that. They tried to change the way he played. And that was part of why he asked out. Um, he was just like, look, I want to get back to playing my style of ball with the ball in my hands, doing what I do. And so, I think the one person he'd listen to is LeBron. But whenever y'all talk about changing habits, you need to just kind of get used to the fact that that might not happen. But the other killer with him is um, free throw percentage, man. It's it, He's become, unfortunately, somehow, he's become such a bad free throw shooter in the later stages of his career. He used to be 80% and above, pretty much guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now, what, this season, he's 63%. In Houston, it was bad, and he got up to 76% at one point, but Washington, 66%. You know, so that's the other thing. I think, I think the fundamentals are obvious inability to shoot and spread the floor, defensive lapses, and then he misses free throws, and he doesn't get there near enough um, to kind of compensate for some of the weaknesses on offense. And you talked about, like, him changing in Houston. I thought, like, something we talked about also – uh, on the pod, it was like he just stopped shooting threes, right, in Houston as well. Like, I think he just he took his least amount of threes in Houston, uh, especially after they traded Capella. So that kind of pushed him up into a bunch of two-point field goal percentages. And that's what I thought he would do here, and maybe that just hasn't happened. 
And again, we talked about like I didn't think Russell Westbrook was going to change, but like I think marginal kind of changes would have had a big impact on this team. I've seen it in spots here and there on the games that LeBron has played, but definitely when LeBron's out, he's back to his just old 35% usage or whatever. And we said that's just not conductive to winning. Like it's it's been proven throughout his career. You give Russell Westbrook the ball for a million possessions, you're not going to win at a high enough clip, at least to what this team wants to go to. Um, but with LeBron, I think you can drop that usage down. And again, that's not great for a guy who you know makes the money he does, that takes the salary cap that he does. But uh, that's just what it is right now. And like, like you said, Jason, like at the end of games, it's been pretty clear. He's not going to have the ball in his hands. Like that's, that's been clear for a lot of the, a lot of the late game situations. So maybe that's just something that I'm optimistic about. Maybe I'm foolishly optimistic about, uh, but that's where I think LeBron comes in and really helps to solidify his role. Even though I still see him as like a star, like solidified his, his role a little bit there. That's why I'm less worried about it is it's just, there's, the what you need from Russ becomes so much less when this team is put together. And if it's not going to be put together because of injuries, then they were never going to contend for the championship anyway. And I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about Russ in the Dennis Schroeder role than I am in the co-star role. And he was in the co-star role in Houston and he was in the co-star role in, in Washington. And, you know, to Roosh's point, like if it becomes a, a personal beef for him where it's like, I want to go play my style of ball. Then yeah, that could be a problem. But dude, like you'd have to be some special kind of lack of self-awareness to, to be in the same locker room with, Le- with LeBron and AD and be like, give me the ball. You know, like, like, so I, I, I don't know. I'm I, I that, like I said, from the very beginning, I'll just repeat that. Like I, I am thoroughly frustrated every time I watch him. However, I'm probably one of the more optimistic Laker fans in terms of what it could be um, when this all comes together. Well, I mean, last point I'll say is um, kind of just driving home everything I said, but I think Houston had the blueprint post Capella trade. Um, I already talked about his two point percentage being the highest of his career. His overall field goal percentage mm-hmm. in Houston was also the highest of his career, 47%. And the next high, it was 47.2%. The next highest of his career was 2011 to 12, 45.7%. <laughs> so that's pretty drastic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, but when you drop his field goal attempts to what right now he's at 18.8, when he's only hitting 44% of those, that's where you get into trouble, right? Because he's not shooting well. He's not shooting well from three, and then it all kind of just like adds on to itself. And also, his three point attempts in Houston <clears throat> were the lowest since 2013 to 2014 so since 2013 to 14 he has not been below four attempts per game except for the season in houston when he shot 3.7 so you have to just get him on a track where he's bought in focused on just using his skill to get to the rim houston treated him his iso possessions and and bully drives to the basket as like a post-up like i said earlier um it was like their version of you know points in the paint inside offense and there was a stretch where it was really working and like it was on fire. So mm-hmm. I think that is possible with the Lakers, you know? Yep. We're on the same page. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. So y'all, uh, dude, thank you for stopping by. This was fun. You're the, you're probably the perfect guy for us to talk to about this. You just, <laughs> you've, you're, you're the, you're the person that's like leading that, uh, that, uh, group therapy session. Who's actually been through everything. You're the, the, the perfect guy to be like, tell me how you really feel. I'm telling you, bro, it's, it's, it's a, it is a trip watching you guys like literally 
mirror the entire mm. Rockets Twitter. You know, it's like I'm watching y'all go on the roller coaster, <laughs> and I just want to like tell you, like, hey, this is how it's going to be. It's right. going to be okay until it's not. But you have LeBron, so I think ultimately, I think it'll be okay still. And if you haven't listened to the uh, the one with Roosh hopped on our pod uh, a couple of days, I think before the season started, uh, a lot of that stuff kind of foreshadowed uh, what, what we're seeing now. So I'd, I'd recommend everyone to go listen to it if you haven't. Roosh, we appreciate you coming up, though, man. Thanks, Roosh. Appreciate it, baby. Y'all have a good night, man. Thank you. You too. Yeah, and we'll we'll take the uh, I'll take the link from that show, the one that Roosh was on. And I'll share it underneath this one for anybody that wants to see it. But, hey, we're going to call it tonight, guys, because it's already 1121 here. Um, But we'll be back Monday night, and we will take more callers. So if we didn't get to you tonight, I'm sorry, but we will get to you on Monday. we got a long season ahead, too, so just keep coming back and requesting, and we'll get as many of you guys up as we can. This will be airing on Dash Radio on Monday morning at 7 a.m., and we'll be on our podcast feed here in about 30 minutes. As always, we sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and we will see you on Monday night. Thanks, everyone.